So much for joining us this morning. We're going to continue our series in 1 John today. And the series we've been going through has been called Loved to Love. John deals a lot with the topic of love and... We want to deal with that topic as much as we can because it's, it's, it's the best thing, right? God's love is the best thing. It's the best thing for us and it's the best thing for us to use in this world. As we just talked about, this world needs more love, less hate. So the, verse, uh, the passage we're going to look at today is 1 John 2, verses 18 to 29. We're going to finish the chapter, chapter 2 this morning. That's, that's our goal at least. So join us there this morning as we look at that passage. In fact, let's read the passage right now and then we're going to come back to it. 1 John 2, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. This is what it says. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as has been taught to you, abide in him. Verse 28, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word today as we look at 1 John chapter 2. The title of our lesson today, this morning, is going to be the greatest fear imaginable. Look at that little spooky little graphic I got up there. It's Halloween time, right? And I don't really like integrating things of the world into the pulpit, but it's, it's upon us and everybody's thinking about it. And I didn't tailor make this around Halloween. It, I fell upon this passage and this thing was upon my mind anyways, so I'm using it. And I'm going to utilize this time of year because right now, the, now is the time of year when everyone's thinking about fear and scary things, right? Watching scary movies and going to haunted houses and trick-or-treating, things like that. Anyone into that kind of stuff? Like to be scared a little bit? Nobody. Luke, okay. Everyone scare Luke. He'll love it. Um, But that's the time of year we have right now, right? Everyone's thinking about fear a little bit. So we're going to focus our attention today on fear, but probably not what you're expecting. So I'm tricking you a little bit with that graphic. Um, But I have a question for you today. Have you ever been scared into action? Ever been scared into action? I have a couple stories to illustrate what I want to talk about today. Uh, a couple times that I've been scared into action. Quite, quite silly things. Uh, the first time I went to the grocery store several years ago, and it was around dusk, you know, so it was around nighttime. And I pulled up my car into the, into the parking lot and got out of the car. And do you ever get a sense that someone is just watching you? Do you ever get a sense of that? I had that sense. And... <laughs> As I got out of the car and I turned and looked at the car next to me, there was a mannequin (laughs) in the passenger seat with its face aimed up like this, looking out the window, kind of smiling. I am not proud of my reaction that day. (laughs) I was a man by this point, and I I think I yelped a little bit. (laughs) And... uh, I also did something else. I also immediately in the moment put my dukes up. Like, let's do this, mannequin. You're not the first mannequin I punched in the face, and you're not the last. But in the moment, it caused me to react. And I don't know if, what maniac puts a mannequin in their, in their car and stares it out at somebody. What, I don't know if they were trying to get a reaction, if there was some kind of camera watching me. If, I'm, if you could find me on YouTube, let me know. But even in that moment, it caused a reaction out of me. I was ready to do something about this fearful moment. (laughs) 
very embarrassing, fearful moment. The second one's not much better. Um, in college, I dated. I had some dating opportunities, things like that, and most of those didn't work out. In fact, all of those didn't work out because I didn't meet Janine until I moved to Michigan much, much later. But I had my experiences, and some of those went okay. Some of those didn't go so well. And I, I, was, kind of, I was kind of ignorant, and kind of, I wasn't a really great guy in college, honestly. So I didn't handle a lot of those opportunities well. Um, so one of these things, it's one of those classic stories, you know, guy meets girl, girl likes guy, guy likes girl, but girl likes guy way more than guy likes girl. <laughs> guy realizes that and tries to back off and ignore girl. Girl gets mad, writes guy, guy a six-page note about how you know, bad he is and how much they could have been together, and then guy eventually just ignores her altogether. One of those classic stories. <laughs> so that's, that's the gist of it. So I, <laughs> there was this girl on campus that I was like trying to avoid because it, it didn't go well the way we ended. And it's a small campus, so that was a, that was a task. But one time I actually went to the store again, and this girl was there at the same time. And she was probably on my top three don't want to run into list. You guys have one of those? Like, just be awkward to run into that person. And so I saw her out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, you know, doing one of these things going, oh, no. You know, because if I have to talk to this girl, it's going to be incredibly awkward. Like, what happened to you, man? Like, who are you dating now? What happened between us? I didn't want anything like that. So I'm doing one of those things, and again, this is very shameful, but I'm sneaking around the aisles, you know. Like, I'm going down aisles I have no business going down, you know, <laughs> women products and international food. Because <laughs> I'm trying to avoid seeing this girl so I don't have to, you know, talk awkwardly to her. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye on her. I don't think she's seen me at this moment. So I'm walking around the store. I'm not even worried about my grocery list at this moment. Just worried about avoiding an awkward scene and because I was fearful of what she would say and so it caused a reaction out of me and that's kind of where we're going today is the greatest fear imaginable that helps us to react but this time in a proper fashion not like your pastor back in the day so we want to look at some goals today before we get back to the text our goals are this I have three different goals for us today number one is to get two better perspectives the first perspective is that if we need to, we would be scared straight today by the real fear. And we'll talk about what that is. But it's not for fear's sake, and we'll get back to that. This fear is so that we can replace that fear one day with confidence. That's our first perspective. Our second perspective is that we would question the pattern of this world that seems to be all about liberty and freedom and instead discover the true liberty. Because scripture and Jesus has true liberty for us. So that's goal number one, two different perspectives. Goal number two is to know the differences between an antichrist and an anointed one. And they'll both come right up in the text. So we'll look at the differences between being an antichrist and one of God's anointed ones. And our third goal is this, to understand what the secret is to avoid becoming an antichrist so that we can stay on God's team and again have confidence at the day of judgment. So those are our goals today. And I do want to talk about fear a little bit today, but I want to go, go back to the text, and I want to make sure we really understand what John is saying to us today, okay? Before I take it in the direction I wanted to, I want to go back to the text, and I want to work, work, through you, uh, work with you through the passage a little bit right now. So follow me in 1 John 2, verses 18 to 29 once again. John says this very profound, important thing. He says, children, once again, it's a very tender thing. He is speaking to us tenderly, but he has a very strict warning for us today. And this warning is this, it is the last hour. The last hour is upon us. And you could go, wow, well, obviously it hasn't been the last hour because we've gone 2,000 or so years ever since John wrote this. So was John wrong? Was he lying? Here's how you look at this. When things in scripture say it's like the last hour or the day is at hand, God has a very different perspective of time than you and I do. It says in Scripture that a thousand years is as one day to God. So imagine that. Say, this, say the world, some people estimate it's about six to 10,000 years old. So if the world is 7,000 years old to God, it's a week. Isn't that wild? One week in God's mind because God has a perspective of eternity. And we have a perspective of years and years and years. So John says this thing to us today, it is the last hour. The last moments are upon us. 
And he says, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. I don't know what you know about the Antichrist, or if you've ever heard anything about that, either from Scripture or just out and about. But there's this person coming named the Antichrist. And really what he is, is he's the devil's chosen man to lead countless people astray at the final hours. He's going to come, and he's going to gain quite a population, quite a following. He's going to be quite charismatic. He's going to have a lot of leadership abilities. But his goal is going to be to lead thousands and countless people away from the true Christ. That's going to be his entire goal. We don't know who that person is yet. Many generations before us have assumed that it's been people like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, people like that, who were able to get a huge following and do a lot of evil with that. But it wasn't those people because those people have come and gone and the end still has not arrived. So the Antichrist is coming. And John wants us to know that he is coming. But he also wants us to know something else because it is the last hour. Already many Antichrists have come. And maybe it is people like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and people who have been very evil. But I think what John is really talking about today is there could be countless. There could be many already upon the world. Kind of like devil's little minions. You know, devil's little antichrists. If you remember John the Baptist, you know, reversing the, the angle here, John the Baptist, when he came, what came for a very specific purpose, to pave the way for Jesus Christ, right? That was his whole ministry, to pave the way for the real Christ. And some people came up to John thinking, are you the Christ? And he said, no, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I am not the Christ, but the real Christ is coming. On the side of evil, that's kind of what these little antichrists are doing. They're kind of paving the way for the main antichrist to come. And so John says to us, many antichrists have already come, and therefore you know it is the last hour, because there are many already trying to deceive us. And then he describes them in verse 19, which, we're, again, we're going to get back to these, this in the, in the text. Um, but he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So there's a little description of what Antichrist look like. They come for a time, they do their thing, they try to deceive, they act like they're one of you, and then they're gone. And you don't see them any longer. And I don't think this is necessarily people who just find different churches. I think they're people who leave the fold and no longer walk with Christ. They're there for a time. They act like you're a brother or a sister. They do some work, probably most, most often evil, very evil deception, and then they leave. And that's really what the devil is doing. He's planting these little antichrists to disrupt the church's goals. And we need to be warned of them today. But then in verse 20, he says, but you, and he's speaking to a Christian audience here, just as I am today, generally, but you have all been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. In other words, you have something greater than the Antichrist. You have God's knowledge. And that is proof of being an anointed one and not an Antichrist. And again, we're going to get back to that. But he says, I write to you, anointed ones, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. In other words, if you're an anointed one today, you'll get it. You'll understand it today. This will make sense to you today. And if you're an antichrist, it might go right over your head, or you might go, oh, I think it means something different. And we're going to talk about that as well. Verse 22, he says, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that is the first significant mark of the Antichrist. Jesus is not the Messiah, they say. He's not the Christ. He's not the chosen one. He's not the Son of God. And John says, that person is the liar. They come from the devil. Because the devil says those exact things all over this world. Jesus is not the Christ. He's not even important. He's a liar himself. Because the devil is trying to turn the tables on all of us. And he says, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Because if you deny the Son, you deny the Father. They're a package deal. And if you deny the Father, you also deny the Son. And if you confess the Father, he says, you also confess the Son. So you either confess and acknowledge Jesus Christ and therefore confess the Father as well, or you deny Jesus Christ and by doing so, you deny God himself. It's a really wild thought. Verse 24, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
And that's why I wanted uh, Dan to read that passage from John 15, because the word abide is very important to us today. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And that's the whole point today, confidence and life and joy, things that would give us courage in this world. And then he says in verse 26, I write these things to you about you that to those who are trying to deceive you, and remember, they are trying to deceive, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing one teaches you about everything and is true and is, is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. And really that little text means if you are of the Holy Spirit today, if you've been purchased and redeemed by Jesus Christ today, you have academia and education and knowledge and wisdom beyond the smartest person in the world because you have God's anointed power and wisdom upon your soul. In other words, you can decipher truth. You can discern what is a truth and what is a lie. And that's a good thing, right? Because the deception, the deceivers, the antichrists are there to deceive. And the anointed ones need some sort of antidote against that. And that antidote is truth. And at the end here, he says, And now, little children, very affectionately again, abide in him. Abide in him. Abide in Jesus, so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So hopefully you understand where John is coming from today, because I'm going to take this in a, in a very specific direction today. The first perspective, as I told you before, I want to talk about is fear. Fear. Because I think there's a right and proper fear that we need, and I think there's a bunch of wrong fears today. There's a fake fear. The fake fear, unfortunately, for those who love Halloween, is the fear that sort of weakens our sense of reality. Things like scary movies and things like that. People flock to scary movies because there's not actually a danger, is there? There's a fear without actually any danger. And the problem with that is that's fake fear. Real fear is there to help you. Like I, like I mentioned with the first illustration, even though I didn't know it was a mannequin, I was ready to throw down with that mannequin because I thought something was wrong. I thought I had to protect myself. And that fear was going to help me if I had to. So we're going to look at the fake fear today. We're also going to look at the real fear because real fear can save our lives. And that's the whole point, is to save our lives and to give us confidence. So perspective number one is to have a right and proper fear and then to use that fear to gain an eternal confidence. And I need you to hear me today. This is not for the sake of fear. I'm not here just to scare you. Neither is John. We're here to grant you confidence. But in order to have the confidence, you need to have the proper fear. So let's talk about fear for a moment. What are the truly scary things in this life? Is it man? Is man the scariest thing we have to be afraid of today? If you look around the world today, you might think that man is the one we have most reason to fear. I mean, look at yesterday. Man can pick up a gun and go to where people are gathering and shoot them. So is man the scariest thing we have in this world? Maybe. After all, man can harm us. They can attack our children and our countries. They can attack our freedom and our livelihood, not to mention our very lives. Man is scary. Sometimes the fear of man is even that profound, however. Sometimes it's, it's simply what man will think about us or say about us. Did you know that public speaking is like number one fear people have? People hate doing this type of thing. In fact, an old comedian said this one time, people would rather die than public speaking, which means they'd rather be in the casket than do, doing the eulogy. And I talked to my wife, even though she has a wonderful singing voice, she gets petrified by standing in front of people. And a lot of people have that fear, right? Because the fear at its root is man. What will man think? What will man even say about me? And there are many of us who have that fear, myself included. Simply fear what man will think about us. The fear, of man may, the fear that man may not approve of us is such a common fear. It gets people to do one of two things. Either spend their lives trying to please man in every aspect of it, or simply not get close enough to people so they can hurt us. Because man is scary and man can hurt us. So is man the scariest thing in this world? I want to look at some common fears in this world right now. 
And at the top list, I put man because I think man is the one we most often deal with. I think most insecurities stem from a fear of man. I really do. But there's also the fear of disease and death. The what-ifs of life. You know, back in the day, if you had a medical problem um, several years ago, you'd have to make an appointment with a doctor, right? And go and talk to your doctor, and your doctor would assess the situation and go, okay, it's nothing, or it's something, and this is what you need. But now we have something called the Internet. And you can Google stuff like bump on tongue. Never do stuff like that, please. I have done that. Never do it. And as soon as you Google something like that, it'll pop up right away. Bump on tongue has a 1% chance of killing you. And you'll go, I have cancer. I have cancer. And so the whole week, the whole night, you're staying up at night, you're sweating, you're in a cold sweat going, I have cancer. I have the 1%. I have the bump on my tongue that's going to kill me. And then you eventually go to your doctor. He goes, it's a zit. It's a canker sore, you know? <sighs> but disease and death are one of those things that plague people. Because you realize how fragile the body is, right? And a disease can take everything you love away from you. Financial ruin is another one. It's been documented that financial stress is the number one reason marriages break up. Is that a sad thing? Financial fear is the reason people break up. Another one is loneliness. Loneliness, not having anybody, dying alone, being abandoned is a really strong fear people have today. And here's another one I thought of, is just general insecurities and phobias. I don't know if you have any phobias. Mine are very weird and specific. I have claustrophobia, and I have a fear of snakes. So my biggest fear ever would be to be buried alive with a snake. If that ever happened, boy, oh boy, you know? But think about that, a bunch of insecurities and phobias that we just make up that generally aren't even real things. And they terrify us. And we think about them a lot and lose sleep. But here's the thing about fears. Fears are real. They are. Fears are real. They're oftentimes overblown and unrealistic in nature, but, but the result fear has upon our hearts and our lives is real. It is. Fear causes stress. Stress can cause physical, mental, and spiritual harm. And the devil wants us to have that type of ruining fear. And God wants us to have the proper fear today. So that's the bad fear. But we need to look at the good fear today. And I want to bring the passage into today that we can understand the good and proper fear. You look at the scripture and there's a wrong fear and there's a proper fear that God brings up. It seems that God wants us to have the right fear and at the same time wants to cast away our petty fears. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 12. Look at this. I tell you, my friends, Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Anyone comforted yet? <laughs> but I, war I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. And if that wasn't enough, listen to Jesus' last words. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I'm going to be honest. When I look at that passage, not a lot of comfort comes to me. <laughs> the first part, I warn you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. Oh, they can only kill my body? No big deal. Oh, the fear is gone. It's calmed. I, how do you wrap your mind around that? I think the way is that when you look into Scripture, you see the contrast between our body and our soul, right? The body is temporal. Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 5, a tent. It's like a tent. Versus our soul or spirit, which is a heavenly building, if you're in Christ. And so that's the contrast. We have a tent that you go away for a weekend and spend a night or two in and have a good time, but you never live in a tent. And if you do, you're homeless. What happens is you spend a night or two in your tent and then you go back to your building, right? And that's kind of what Jesus is drawing out of us today. Don't fear those who can only destroy your tent. It's a tent. It's not supposed to last. It's not supposed to secure you for the rest of eternity. It's supposed to be here for a time and then go away. But then Jesus says, I warn you whom to fear. There is someone you should fear. Fear him who has the keys to hell. Fear him so that when you stand before him at judgment day, he has the keys to cast you into hell for all of eternity. And again, that doesn't sound quite comforting yet, does it? 
But the point is, is that good fear helps us. Good fear keeps us. Good fear protects us. And that's the irony of God's fear. Jesus says, do not fear those who can only kill the body. Fear him who actually has the authority to not only take your body, but to throw you into hell as well. See, God wants us to not fear anything besides him. First of all, nothing can happen to us apart from God's allowance and will. Did you know that? Nothing. Nothing can happen to us unless God says, okay, I approve, I allow. Which means anything scary we face has already been approved of by the Lord who sent his son to die for us. Isn't that a comforting thing to know? That anything you and I go through that's seemingly scary, God is the one with the barometer, the thermometer, deciding how intense that fear is. So that's number one, is that God is the one who sent his son and God is the one who's controlling that circumstance. Second of all, if you have the right perspective, nothing is scary when placed next to God. Nothing. What is man who can harm our tent? What is disease that can kill our body? What are the little insecurities we have of not being loved or liked or cared for versus the God who can send us into eternal darkness? Without the right perspective of fear, petty fears can and will plague us because the devil wants that to happen. But when we see those fears next to what God is capable of, they're nothing. Can I illustrate this a little bit more? A few, several weeks ago, I told you a story called The Encounter. Does anyone remember that story about the spider and the bear? In this little story, I'll just abridge this version a little bit. Uh, this man has a terror, a phobia of spiders. I mean, he's deathly afraid of spiders. And he goes on this camping trip with his buddies. And in this camping trip, he goes in his tent for the night to get ready for bed. He's going to read a little bit. And while he's reading, a huge spider comes into his tent, like into the entrance of his tent. And he's paralyzed because he hates spiders. And he thinks this thing is going to kill him. So while he's paralyzed, waiting, for, waiting to see what happens with the spider, he hears something. Behind him is a growl. And his tent that he's actually in, ironic enough, begins to shake. And he realizes that right behind him is a big old grizzly bear. And as soon as that happens, this man completely changes his perspective from spider to bear. And now all he can think about is bear. Because why? Bear is bigger, stronger, and scarier than the spider. And in this moment, this man decides, i got to get out of this situation. And he and he races right to the entrance of his tent, runs into the woods, gets into his car, peels out, and avoids the encounter with the bear. And you know what happened while he was in the car? He remembered the spider. And he's like, oh no, what happened to the spider? And he looked down on his sock, and he had actually crushed the spider under his foot while fleeing from the bear. Do you see the point? That when placed next to God, what are the petty fears in our life? They're nothing. They're nothing. They plague us. They seem real. The devil intensifies it. It makes us seem like this is the worst thing you could ever face. And God says, that's not what you should fear. You know what you should fear? Fear me only. Because I have the keys to everything. I'm the one that decides if your life is hard or easy. I'm the one who decides where you go for the rest of eternity. Fear only God. So there is a real fear. There's something truly terrifying in this passage. The reason I bring this up is because there is that in this passage. The most terrifying thing imaginable that we need to focus on today is the fear of finding out that you and I have become an antichrist. Focus on that word for a moment. Antichrist. An antichrist is the scariest place to ever imagine finding yourself. Consider the terror of that being said of you on the last day. That you're an anti-Christ. You're anti-God's love. Anti-God's protection. Anti-salvation. Anti-grace. Anti-healing. Anti-truth. Anti-light. Anti-hope. Anti-strength. Anti-mercy. On and on and on. Wouldn't that be terrifying? For on the last day for God to say to you, you're an antichrist. That should be our one and only fear today. And I'm speaking to myself as well, because I have petty fears. To find ourselves against the God of all creation would be beyond terrifying, because God is almighty, and he has all authority. And if we find out in the last day that we're not on God's team, we are doomed forever.
See, in comparison with God, man is nothing. Man is less than nothing. We should have such confidence when dealing with man because of God. It's not that we shouldn't fear anything today. It's that we should only fear what is truly worthy of our fears. Man is nothing and can do nothing. God, on the other hand, holds the keys to eternal hell. That today is the greatest fear imaginable. But if we just put a period, and that's where we ended things today, that again wouldn't be that comforting, would it? To just get you terrified of God and walking on eggshells is not the point. Because the fear is not for the sake of fear. It's for the sake of drawing us into the Lord's steadfast love so that you and I can defeat fear with confidence. Can I direct your eyes again to verse 28 in 1 John 2? Look at what it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at his coming. Remember me in the grocery store shrinking in shame? God wants you to have confidence on the other side when you stand before scary God. He doesn't want you shrinking down in fear. He wants you to have confidence. Why confidence? Because proper fear spurs us on to abide in Jesus. That is the antithesis of being an antichrist, is being with Christ. And that's the whole point of today. So our first perspective today is what is the proper fear? What is worthy of our fear? If you have the right perspective and I have the right perspective, fear, the right kind of fear, God's fear, fear of God is a gift of love because it keeps you alive. It's the type of fear you have when you don't want to lean over a cliff, right? Hey, how cool would this picture be? Take my little phone, my little camera, and lean over the cliff and take a picture. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why? You might die. And so the fear of that keeps you away from the ledge. Do you see the point here? God is keeping us away from the ledge today. And that's how much he loves us. So that's our first perspective today, is what is the true and proper fear Perspective number two is what is true liberty? What is true liberty? Liberty is in the fabric of our nation. You guys know that, right? That's a good thing. Liberty is a good thing. We live in a day and age, though, unfortunately, where everyone wants to be an individual, to have their own unique personality, and to rebel against what's normal. You guys remember the, the character Fonzie from Happy Days, right? Fonzie was Mr. Too Cool for school. Remember that guy? Everything Fonzie did was cool. Everything he did was rebellious. Everybody wanted to be Fonzie. And I feel like we live in that day and age today where everybody wants to be the Fonzie character. Unfortunately, we have a master deceiver. And we talked about that from 1 John 2 as our enemy. He has completely turned the tables against our nation. What people are calling rebellion and liberty and individualism today is actually the greatest act of illusion the world has ever seen. Because everybody rebels. Everybody's the Fonzie. Everyone goes the pattern of this world. Nobody wonders if we're all in darkness. Do you see that? Is that liberty? When everybody's doing exactly the same thing. Rebellion isn't going the exact same way as everybody else. It's not. Therefore, the only rebellion left in this world is obedience to God. And that's how we need to change our perspective today. Which means there is no true individualism or rebels or anyone mapping their own course today. The world is full of lemmings. We all need the same styles and technology, the same acceptance, the same rights, the same comforts and gratifications to know we're doing and having the exact same thing as everybody else. It's been termed equality and free will, but in actuality, the real word is slavery. And the worst kind of slavery is the slavery you don't know you're in because you can't escape it. The devil has thrown a cloak over our eyes and programmed us to think that we're the masters of our own lives. When in reality, we're all acting the exact same way and we're all doing exactly as the devil wants us to do. Look at verse 26 of 1 John 2. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He is the master deceiver. So the question today is, where are the true rebels? Where are those who will stand up to the system of the world and the devil's schemes and not stop until they find true eternal freedom? 
We need someone to rebel against the rebellion today. We do. Antichrists are not the exception, unfortunately. They're the rule. They're common. Antichrists are a dime a dozen. Look around this world. It's full of antichrists. That's not rebellion. Everyone's going the exact same way. You see, it's tiresome to see so many so-called rebels lining up one after another like lemmings jumping off the cliff to their death. How is that rebellion? How is following sin to eternal destruction liberty? Is that liberty? To follow sin unto death? If you want to rebel today, rebel against that. Rebel against the rebellion because unfortunately the devil is laughing at us today. And he's telling us that liberty and rebellion and freedom all are the things we need. When in reality what we need is God. We need to go the right way. We need to go the proper way. Therefore, we need to ask questions today like things like this. What are we doing? Why do I need this? How will this help me? How will this help others? Does this bless the Lord of the universe? Imagine if we ask questions like that. Think of how we would act and live upon this earth. It's time to get off the faux, fake, liberty train and get on the real liberty train because the word of god the lord jesus himself is the true liberty if you want liberty find it in christ don't find it in the world the world is going the wrong way and according to first john 2 there is a group of true rebels they're not rebelling against the lord they've learned that's incredibly foolish to do so and everyone is going that way this group of rebels are special. They're called in 1 John the anointed ones. These anointed ones are rebelling what is so common and ordinary in this world, which is sin. Oh, they're rebelling. They're rebelling against sin. They're the only ones walking the right way, the way to eternal freedom. They ask questions before they act. They strive to know truth and to walk in truth. They're sick of the darkness. They cannot be satisfied with what the world offers them. They want more and better. They're of God, they think like God, they act like God, and they cannot and will not be satisfied with the puny, weak, futile, worthless things of the world. Those are the true libertarians today. The people who will stand up to sin, stand up to the devil and say, like I about, about said to the mannequin that one day, let's go. <laughs> let's do this. So which are we today? An antichrist? Like the rest of the world? Or are we of God? Are we an anointed one? Are we walking toward truth no matter the cost and no matter the danger? Because Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. And now we must have true freedom. We must have true liberty. We must have eternal life for the Lord who created us. We must go against the flow. Here's a couple perspective questions based on those things. What are we scared of today, man or God? Are we afraid that man might harm us with words or deeds or have our fears risen to something truly terrifying, which is finding ourselves on the wrong side of God? That is true fear. It's time that you and I mature our perspectives and finally comes to grips with what is important. You see, the main Antichrist, according to 1 John, is coming soon. But John tells us that many Antichrists are already here. They're already amongst us. And the fact that they're amongst us is, is proof that the end is very, very near. If John said 2,000 or so years ago, it is the last hour, how much more so it is at the last hour today? None of us can afford to be on the wrong team when the dawn arrives. And I hope you know that. I hope I'm preaching to the choir today. See, God will declare war on the wicked who refuse to repent. And he's going to win. If you, could make, you could imagine not living in America and finding out that the United States of America had declared war on your country. Wouldn't that be terrifying? We have a pretty good military. What would happen if on the last day God said, I declare war on you? You didn't rebel against the devil. You didn't rebel against sin. You didn't repent of your sins. He's going to win. And all those who are anointed and follow Jesus Christ are going to win. Question number two is, what, are we what do we consider true liberty? The sinful pattern of the world that leads to eternal death, is that liberty? Is that freedom? Is that really what we want? To follow our vices unto death? Does that seem like liberty? Yeah, it's a fun jump off the cliff until you go splat. That's not liberty. 
Or is liberty to us going against the grain, following Jesus on the right path that leads to eternal life? If you can change your perspective, that, tr- that is true liberty today. And that's also true rebellion because you're the few. You're the few. The only rebellion left, like I said before, is obedience to God. There's no more rebellion left. Everybody's rebelling. Everybody's going the way of sin. Everyone wants more sin and practicing sin. So very quickly, in order to know what antichrists are and what anointed ones are, we, let's look at a list here, okay? Two different lists. What are the anointed ones and what are antichrists? Let's look at the antichrist first. Antichrists, according to 1 John 2, I'm going to get all of these things from the text. My dad spoke last week on 1 John 2, 15 to 17. And that passage says that do not love the world or the things in the world. You remember that? Well, the first characteristic of an antichrist is they love the world. All of their loves, all of their desires, all of their satisfactions and gratifications come from the world. So that's characteristic number one. Number two is they're with us for a time. It says in verse 19, but they don't continue. They eventually leave the fold permanently. You ever known someone like that? You don't have to raise your hand or say any names, of course, but have you ever known someone that professed to be a Christian, was with you for a time, and now they're nowhere near Christ? Anti-Christ. Number three, they spread lies and they deceive while they're with us. It's subtle. And honestly, some antichrists might not even know they're antichrists yet. They might believe they're part of the fold. But little by little, they're spreading lies, they're hearing lies, they're propagating those lies because they've been planted by the evil one. So that's number three, is they do exactly as their father tells them to do, which is deceive. Number four, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. It's right there in the text at verse 22. They can either deny them two ways. You could deny Jesus with your speech and say he's not the Christ, he's not the Messiah, or you could deny Jesus with your lifestyle. You could say, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I follow Christ. But your lifestyle proves otherwise. That, too, is denying Jesus Christ. And then lastly, they are the many, not the few. Unfortunately, the Antichrists are the common ones. The church, the anointed ones, the real people of God are the few. They always have been. But the Antichrists also are the eternal losers. They're going to lose. And it's going to be a landslide victory for Jesus Christ and his followers. So that's an Antichrist. Look at that list. Think about that list. What we don't want to do is find ourselves in that category today, but also have our guard up for those who may be antichrist. Next, let's look at the characteristics of an anointed one. John says they are filled with God's knowledge, which seems obvious, right? Of course they're filled with God's knowledge. But like I said before, if you're filled with God's knowledge, you have knowledge beyond the smartest people of the world because all they have is man's knowledge. And if you're anointed purely by the grace of God through Jesus, you have wisdom that transcends the world. Therefore, you're anointed. And John goes on to say that you know the truth from the Spirit of God and you're not easily deceived because you can decipher and discern what is truth. And you know why that is? Because God gives it to you. And that's characteristic number two of an anointed one. Number three, they do the complete opposite of the Antichrist. They acknowledge the Son as the Christ and the Father because it's a package deal. And they do it in both speech and lifestyle. So they say they're Christians And they prove they're Christians based on their lifestyle. So that's what an anointed one is. Next, they continue in the fold, unlike the Antichrist who are there for a time and then they leave. The Christian, the real anointed ones, persist, abide, endure, remain until the end. And last of all, which we're going to spend our last time on today, is they abide in Christ. And John brings up this word abide three different times. Abide, abide, abide. Because that is the way to cast out your fears. That is the way to avoid becoming an antichrist. So let's spend the last time on our, uh, the last moments that we have, which aren't many, on the secret to not becoming an antichrist. So I'm going to have the tech team bump, bump forward a few slides here so we can move on with what we need to talk about today. What is the secret to staying faithful to Christ and not being deceived by an antichrist. By the way, I apologize, I apologize for the OCD people who are now blanks on their page. They can't fill in. I hate that. 
But I'm sorry, we don't have the moment, the time to look at every, every nook and cranny today. But what I want to finish on today is this. What is the secret to staying faithful to Christ and not being deceived by the Antichrist? Number one, know God's truth. Know it. There is no shortcut to this. You and I must know the word of God, which means we must get our primary teaching from the Holy Spirit's influence through Scripture and not man's opinions, not man's theologies, not replacing the Word of God with man's devotionals. Do you see how slippery that slope is? Little by little, you're listening to man's wisdom and not God's. And if you're an anointed one, you can sit before the Scriptures and make sense of it because God has given you wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And if you can't, come talk to me because you need, first of all, to be anointed by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. But there's no shortcut. We have to know God's truth. That's for us to not be deceived by the Antichrist because they're all over this world. And the next thing we need to do is test everything with Scripture. Everything, including what comes out of this pulpit. Hold me to Scripture. It's your authority. It trumps me. So if Scripture says something and I seem to go against it, go with that. We have to know God's truth. Number two secret to staying faithful to Christ is very simple, yet very, very profound. Stay very near Jesus. Because the opposite of Antichrist is with Christ. And if you know anything about the gospel, the entire purpose of the gospel is this term called reconciliation. Reconciliation means God takes us from being apart, of him, apart from him excuse me, and bringing us with him. Reconciled. Together. So the most profound thing of the gospel says we're not saved from God, we're saved to God. Do you notice that? God is the refuge. We don't need to be scared from God and, and dodge God and walk away from God and sneak around. We need to be unto God. He is the refuge. He is the protector. Christ is the tower of refuge. And that's where we need to be. And so the, the antidote, the secret to not becoming an antichrist is stay near Christ. Very near Christ. John 15 says abide. And John here says in 1 John chapter 2, abide, 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 abide. The only solution to not becoming an antichrist is to stay near the true Christ. No one who nourishes himself daily with Christ and his truth is in danger of becoming an antichrist. It's only when we begin to wander and replace our hunger for righteousness and for truth with a hunger for sin. When we do that, we leave God's presence. We chase sin, and now we're in danger. And in all reality, anyone can become an antichrist if not careful. And the devil knows it. He's going to do whatever he can to deceive and to trick and to trap. So, what do we need to do today? Let's look at our application here. I want to bump down to the application if we have a slide in between there. Can we go to the application Four things, and they all come from our lesson today, is number one, fear God and nothing else. Fear God and nothing else. And I know that sounds hard because I don't do that properly either. I have my own fears and insecurities. But the goal is for us to only have one fear, to fear what's truly worthy of our fears, God. Because when we fear God, he protects us. He loves us. He sustains us. He wants us to have confidence. Don't you notice that? God is not here with a scare tactic to just, you know, go, boo, I'm scary. Remember, I'm scary. No, that's not the point. The point is confidence on the last day. So application number one is we should fear God and nothing else because it benefits us eternally. Number two is discover the true liberty of following Christ and going the right way. Because I thought I was pretty rebellious. I was, and honestly, I thought that was a cool thing when I was in my early 20s kind of edgy, walking on the line, you know, that's kind of a cool Christianity until God showed me a mirror and said, Todd, what are you doing? That's not the right way. That's not the way to liberty. That's not the way to freedom. That's not the way to life. You've been deceived. So application number two is to discover the true liberty. If you want to rebel, and I hope you do, rebel against your old father, the devil. He's evil. He's wicked. He lies over and over and over, and he wants your eternal death and destruction. Rebel against him today. Number three is make absolute certain that you are confessing and acknowledging the Lord Jesus 
with your life as well as your speech. Not just your speech. Not just to say, I'm not an antichrist. I love Jesus. But to prove it and to walk the correct way. Because that's how you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30 that we skipped over. Listen to this. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Are you certain that you're with Christ today? And lastly, number four is abide in Christ. Be on the offense to nourish your soul from Christ and then to love and obey him with everything until the end. Remember the commandments to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is liberty. That is the right path. That is the way to go. It says in verse 28, 29, I'll read this one more time from 1 John 2, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. The fear of becoming an antichrist is a real fear and should motivate us every single day to stay faithful to the Lord. But the fear of the Lord, and I need to stress this once again, is a gift. The fear of God is a gift. Because when we have it, it does two things. It drives away other petty fears that have no business being fears, and it compels us to abide in Jesus and stay in the refuge. Isn't that a good fear? It's not there for fear's sake. It's there for health's sake, for liberty's sake, for freedom's sake, for joy's sake. Making the fear of God the greatest fear imaginable. I'll end this with a few shotgun sayings. Be in the refuge at all times. Remember the end is very, very near. Remember judgment is coming. Remember Christ and his anointed ones are going to win and all antichrists will be destroyed. Remember eternity is forever. And that our choices right now matter for eternity. And last of all, remember Jesus is worthy of our devotion, isn't he? He came so that we don't have to have the real fear forever, which is being on the wrong side of God. And I hope you consider that the greatest fear imaginable today. Abide in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. I hope this was uh, clear today. I hope it was made forward what I wanted to say. And if not, forgive me. But I do pray that we would understand the scripture today and understand how important it is to be on the team of Christ. To stay near him and to abide in him. And if we don't know him, Father, to find him for the first time. Because everything that's truly scary is outside of Jesus. And once we have Jesus, all the scary goes away because God is bigger than the scary. Help us to remember that today. And if, Father, if we even need to use the Halloween season to remind us of the real fear, help us to do that so that we can have true liberty, so we can cast away the fears that are petty and insignificant, and most of all, so we can abide in Jesus forever because he's the one and only true refuge. We praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.